Welcome to From the Heart with Daniel Groom, he, him, Don Lister, she, her, and our guest today, Dr. Gail Parker, she, her. Welcome, Dr. Gail. We are delighted and honoured and excited for this conversation. So good to see you all the way from America. Yes. Yeah. All the way from Palm Springs, California, America. Yeah. So it's nice yeah. to be here. I've, I've been looking forward to this for quite some time. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you so much for coming. And thank you for rubbing in that you're somewhere warm or we're somewhere wet and damp and very gray. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, I'm just going to give you a quick rundown of Dr. Gail's incredible biography. She is a PhD. She's a yoga therapist, a 500 hour trained yoga teacher, an author, a psychologist, an educator. Uh, she serves as president of the Black Yoga Teachers Board of Directors and is the author of Restorative Yoga, Thor, Ethnic and Race-Based Stress and Trauma and Transformative Ethnic and Race-Based Traumatic Stress with Yoga. You are an incredible person who's written some profound words which the world needed. Um, so thank you for doing that. Thank you. Thank you for highlighting the work. Uh, Daniel, how are you? Tell me what's been going on in your world. I am very well today, thank you. Been on a bike ride earlier, which blew the cobwebs away. Um, I was just trying to think of something kind of slightly intellectual to talk about rather than TV, which I just need to talk about all the time. But I've just finished reading a really amazing book um, by Billy Porter called Unprotected. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if either of you have come across the work of Billy Porter before. You may well have seen him on certain TV shows, which is where the link is back to TV. <laughs> but um, he's a, absolutely just an amazing person. Um, he probably was most famous for being um, in Kinky Boots in broad, on Broadway, and he played the black drag artist who um, the story was all sort of based around and then he went on to um, be the MC in Pose um, which was all about the ballroom um, in the 80s and 90s in, the, in New York and his book has been something that I've really wanted to read for a long time I've been a huge fan of his um, he's unapologetically himself he has, and, and can, I, can I just read you his, his words? I, I can't put it any better than myself, than, than myself than what he said. He said, this is not a coming out story. It's not a down low story either. I never could have passed for straight, even if I wanted to. And so I never had the dubious luxury of living a lie. And he, his book is his story really about what it was like growing up as a queer child, a black child wanting to get into theatre and just the, the struggles that he had to be able to get where he is today and the amount of times that he got knocked back because of him either being too queer or black. And he is now in Disney films, he's impose which to me is one of the most 
progressive programs I think there's ever been on TV in terms of most of the actors and actresses are trans people playing trans people, black people playing queer black people, people being given the actual demographic of who they are to play who they are rather than a, a straight or someone else playing them. And yeah, just for me, he's, he's, he's fantastic. So I'd highly recommend reading it. Um, Dawn, you'll probably have come across him. He was the gentleman that turned up at the Oscars wearing the tuxedo. And then when they panned down, he was wearing a ball, ball dress. Yeah. Um, so he was kind of playing with this masculine, feminine um, mm. identity of himself that mm. comes across in all the work that he does. But I would highly recommend reading this book. Mm. Oh, thank you, Daniel. That sounds amazing. I might have to borrow it off you. You're more than welcome. Yeah. <laughs> we, um, so I went to join Daniel at uh, Winter Pride the event in our local town at the weekend I was so emotional um I could only pop in for a little bit because I had to work um I had clients in the afternoon but it was um my therapy center and our yoga studio shared a table and we when I arrived they just started reading poetry so um there were some young trans people um, reading their stories and that, that sort of that they'd written up into poetry. And I was, I immediately started to cry, which really surprised me. I didn't expect to be so moved and touched by it. Um, and uh, I feel like I'm still processing. <laughs> I feel like I need to have a session around just, I think there was a lot around um, their, them feeling safe to use their voice because they really were like, I felt like they were really owning their space and speaking out and there was no, there was no hiding and they didn't feel awkward. And it felt like the word I would use about the whole event was it felt joyful. And in all marginalized communities, my observation is that that's unusual in when you're out and about. So when you're mixing with other people, it, there's a sense of fear or hiding or shame, but it felt so much as if in that space, it just felt really joyful. And I don't know, I haven't worked out yet whether what made me cry was the joy or the, the words that I was hearing. I haven't, I, haven't, I haven't got there yet, I'm still processing. But you know, I would say to anyone, if you haven't been to a Pride event or you think it's not for you, really go you know that's how the world's meant to be I've, I mean that's how I feel anyway I feel like everybody should be how they are and love who they want to love and wear what they want to wear and why not you know everything's so black and white otherwise it's so dull you know isn't that what life's about you know expression and exploration and you know growth so thank you for um inviting me along Daniel I'm so glad I came and I'll make sure I'm there for the whole day next time it was really it was really wonderful to be there. Glad you um, had that experience, Dawn. I really yeah. am, because, yeah, I, I find pride very emotional. Um, I find it brings up a lot of unprocessed mm. stuff within me that gets pushed away or gets hidden. Mm. And a couple of prides ago, I found it really difficult to be there because I just felt so overwhelmed by mm such a strong emotion of feeling like I belonged somewhere so much, but then the realisation that this only can happen on this certain day, mm -hmm. 
because then we take the barriers away, we take the security guards away, and actually it turns back into being fearful of who you are. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. And it was so interesting for for me, because I think I've said this to you before, Daniel, I felt like I belonged in a way I don't feel I belong in other spaces. And so there's a whole piece of work for me that I'm aware I need to explore around where I fit in, which comes from, as our listeners know, from my own childhood trauma of being brought up in a cult and being othered and, you know, never really understanding fully who I am. And think even at 51, still trying to understand and explore that around my own sexuality, my own identity, all of it. I kind of all feels very up in the air for me. But when I'm in that kind of space, I feel so like, oh, I feel at home. So you know, there was, there's a lot of, there's a lot to process there, which is, it was so interesting. So that, you know, again, I really thank you for, you know, making that a lovely safe space for me to be in. I'm looking forward to, to going there again. I did have a little giggle because it was literally, you walked in and you just started crying. I, I like, know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> it was hilarious. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I, I think. Are you okay? <laughs> I don't know. Yes. I'm just overwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was just ridiculous I and it's so interesting because I couldn't then actually speak to anybody for the whole hour and a half I was there. anybody who looked at me to talk I was just like I can't talk to you I've got nothing to say somebody else is going to have to do the sales job in our center because it's not going to be me oh interesting anyway and we'll be talking about this all day Daniel and that is not why we're here we're here to talk to the wonderful Dr Gail so Gail how, how are you how has your week been what have you been up to my week has been wonderful, but I have to join in this conversation because you may or may not be aware that Palm Springs, California is the retirement home of the largest gay population in the country. Wow. And, yeah. And so Pride Week is a big deal around here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's festive. It's wonderful. It's it's uh, so I will. T- I feel very safe in this community. Um, I feel very safe in this community. Um, And it's one of the reasons I love it here. And Mm -hmm. there is racial diversity, there's ethnic diversity, there's their diversity of nationalities, because it's a tourist place. Um, It is a place where uh, gay people and straight people are, I mean, it's it's like, it's not an issue. It's not an issue. And one of the things that I think is so critically, like people don't talk about being marginalized because people aren't marginalized. You know, you're everybody, you're a part of the mix. You're a part of the culture that exists in this space. And it is one of the things that I love most about um, being here and being in California in general. It's, it's just a, um, it's a wonderful experience. And I, I have, a, I, there's something that I call the world according to Gail. And I'm in the world according to Gail right now, Don, speaking of this is how it should be. Um, and, and I think it's really important. Um, I, I just think it's important for people to have the experience of not feeling or being or even labeled as marginalized. You know what I mean? Because I think we internalize those labels also. And we begin to think of ourselves as being marginalized. And I would like to challenge that. 
I think that we as individuals have a, I guess I'll call it a responsibility. I don't know if I mean that, but have have an opportunity to tell her own narratives, to define ourselves. You asked me earlier, what are my pronouns? So that's not something that I that I tend to. Um, I understand and respect the desire for people to be identified by pronouns, but you know I'm of a ge- different generation also, and so that is not. That it's it's uh, how do I want to say it? It, it, it it's I accept that this is what people um, resonate with now, but it hasn't been part of my culture growing up. Um, I'm old enough to be your mother, Don. So <laughs> at, at age fifty-one, I am. I just had my seventy-sixth birthday. Happy birthday! Thank you. Birthday. Yeah, I'm meeting in December, so I'm I'm almost seventy-six and a half now. You know what I'm saying? So I'm just thinking, wow. I am what three and a half years away from eighty. That's huge. So that's a very that's a different generation. So it's it's so the pronoun generation is <laughs> uh, uh, not my generation. That's all I'm saying. But the point is, I think we we owe it to ourselves to begin to create our own narratives and not try to fit into somebody else's. And I suppose that that's what the pronoun identification is an aspect of creating our own narrative, my own mm-hmm. narrative. I get to call, I get to name myself who I am. Mm-hmm. See, and if I were, if I were doing that pronoun wise, if I were, if I were naming myself who I am, as I see me, I would say we, us, that's what I would say. That That is what I would say. Um Allow that to be your pronoun, then, Doctor Gail. Well, <laughs> sometimes you know it's interesting because sometimes in 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 this culture of where we live in the United States of being called out and calling people out, that gets called out as insensitive to the the intention of um, identifying oneself by pronouns because it's a gender sensitive. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what, help me out. Give me the word. It's gender, it's intended to be gender sensitive and we us isn't, you know, that kind of neutralizes it. Uh But that would be my, if I were, if I were just felt free to claim my own, that would be we us. Mm. I don't always feel free speaking of unprotected. To be in this world, you know, we all we all end up stepping into spaces where you don't feel necessarily safe. Mm. You don't feel out. And interesting, while we're on the topic, since my topic has to do with race-based traumatic stress, which is a very specific, particular form of trauma and stress, it's unique. Um, there are lots of different forms of trauma and stress. Don, you mentioned growing up in a cult and the, and, and the stresses and traumas associated with that uh, lifestyle. Daniel, I'm assuming, Daniel, are you, you're gay? Well, I, I actually identify as queer. So as queer. Um, oh, I would say right. my sexuality is pansexual um, all right. rather than gay. Actually, okay. gay, gay, it's really interesting what you're saying, just to widen the, the scope slightly, 
is gay to me feels actually something that I don't feel part of, but I identified with for a long time. But actually for me, as I've grown older, my identity towards who I feel sexually or, or romantically attracted to is beyond the scope of gender. I, I gotcha. Okay. I, that's interesting. So this is, this is really an interesting conversation. to me. <laughs> it is. And I'm glad it's a conversation. And that's what I want discussions about race to be conversational, but let me get back to get. So when I was growing up, queer meant odd, meant different. When I was growing up, gay meant happy. You see, so I'm, <laughs> so these terms being used in ways that are that have changed mm-hmm. um uh, one has to what uh, you know if you want to stay current you 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 need to be able to have these kinds of conversations that we're having now in a non-hostile way in a non-defensive way mm-hmm. where i'm open to he- learning and you're open to learning and talking and so that's the world according to gail that's the that's the tone I'm trying to set when it comes to having discussions about race. But speaking of just getting back to gender identification, I'm a president, as you said, uh, Don, of the Black Yoga Teachers Alliance. And we just did a uh, conference uh, in August. It was an online conference. And the, our theme was called We Are Family. And we wanted to represent all the various kinds of family that exist. And one of our members agreed, uh, you know, to represent um, the non-binary family. That's what we were calling it. And she corrected, she said, I don't identify as non-binary. That's a whole different thing. She said, I identify as queer. And so, I mean, it was, re- it was so interesting to hear, well, what's the difference? You know, is my, my, well, help educate, tell, I don't, what, what is the difference and why does it matter? And so we were, obviously we had the conversation. We said, got it. Okay. Queer. You're, you're representing the queer family. Um, so as it pertains to race in this culture and probably in this world, having conversations about race has been taboo. One of the questions you sent me um, some questions to think about coming on. So I'm gonna, if you don't ask me, I'm going to answer them anyway. So one of the questions was, how did I come to writing these books? Yeah. Restorative yoga for uh, what race-based, ethnic and race-based stress and trauma and transforming ethnic and race-based traumatic stress with yoga. In 2015, you may or may not remember that in the United States, a young man named Trayvon Martin was murdered and when the person who murdered him was tried he was found innocent by the jury and that created such a painful response in the united in 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 the in the black community particularly that once again this innocent young kid who's walking home in his neighborhood where he lived with a bag of candy and a hoodie on is identified by one of the neighborhood watch people, people, you know, people in the neighborhood walk around looking, making sure the neighborhood is safe. 
as a potential criminal and he shot and killed him. Wow. And in the United States, in that particular state um, where this occurred, Florida, they, they have what they call um, uh, stand your ground laws, which means if you feel threatened and you decide to take the action of protecting yourself by using a gun, you're standing your ground. Isn't so, yeah. So this was a very painful experience. And when President Obama, who was president at the time, said publicly, that could have been me, that could have been my son, there was an uproar in, in the white community. I don't know what they thought he said, but it was like the, people were just furious with him for making that identification. And so it was out of that uh, uh, event that I realized I needed, I wanted to do something. I, I wanted to help people understand how to manage those kinds of painful experiences because at young people, so again, I'm 76 years old. So I've been through a lot of this before. I've been through the civil rights movement. I've been through, uh, you know, uh, but when, when segregation was still legal in the United States, I was, I was a teenager. Um, so I've lived these experiences and I realized younger people, I have a 40 year old son who did not live any of that. Younger people, millennials, we call them, had a very different experience. There was no military draft, so they did not have to go to war. I grew up in the military. My father fought in uh, World War II. He was one of the original Tuskegee Airmen who were the um, escort bombers that helped win the war. Um, and who, so they integrated the United States military and fought segregation. They fought segregation at home and helped win that war as well. Um, he was in Vietnam, um, teaching the Vietnamese pilots how to fly. Um, he was in Korea. I grew, so I grew up in, in and around all of this. My son, who is 40, didn't have to deal with any of that. He didn't have to, he, what, there was no draft. There was no concern that he might be drafted into the military. And there were laws in the United States called affirmative action laws, which were designed to support black people who had been disenfranchised in having a more of an equal, a, a leg up to kind of give them opportunities that they had not had before, right? Those laws have been since dismantled, which is interesting to me. Um, so they don't know, they don't, they don't, they don't, they haven't, ex had not experienced the same kind of hardships that my generation experienced. They were, you know, we're thinking, oh, goody, it's, they're free. You know, the, we, we, oh, look, we fought for this and, and now there's freedom. And so none of us were prepared for the regression that we have seen taking place. We weren't prepared for it and we didn't prepare our kids for it. So I thought, well, you know what? I know, I know how to manage these kinds of stresses and traumas. I'm a psychologist. And so that mattered to me. So I'm coming from that perspective. 
And so I, I began to, um, I, I had closed my psychotherapy practice and I was teaching yoga therapy to potential yoga therapists in a hospital actually in the Detroit area. And um, I thought restorative yoga, which is the yoga that I reference is an ideal practice for people who are on high alert, who are tense, who are chronically stressed, who are traumatized. Restorative yoga for, for your listeners who may not know exactly what that is, is a, is a yoga that uses props, bolsters, blankets, uh, yoga blocks, et cetera, to support the body in holding postures for extended periods of time that allow the relaxation response to come in. And when the relaxation response clicks in, which is a real physiologic response, as you know, heart rate slows, brain waves slow down, metabolism slows down, shifts, slows, um, breathing becomes more efficient and the nervous system comes into balance. So that your, your you know, the, the, the fight flight aspect of the nervous system balances with the parasympathetic nervous system, the rest and digest system. And now we're in homeostasis, we're in health. So this is where repair can occur. It's also where clarity of thought, awareness, deeper levels of awareness, of self-awareness occur. occur. And I, and what I say is that, um, that awareness is the medicine of healing. And as yogis, we know that that's what we're teaching, you know, aware, deeper, you know, we're, we're not just sharing information here. We're supporting people and in coming into deeper levels of awareness of self capital S who I really am beyond the physical, beyond the emotional, beyond the psychological that deep place of goodness within me. And so it seemed to me logical that this would be um, a practice that would be supportive of healing, really any kind of stress and trauma. A student from Denmark once asked me, she said, well, wait a minute. She said, I don't get it. What, why is race-based traumatic stress? What does that have to do with anything? Isn't, isn't trauma physiologically the same? The answer is yes, it is. Well, what's the difference? What's the point? The context. <laughs> People of different races are having different experiences. Daniel, you raised your hand. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I, was just gonna, I was just gonna interject. I think that's probably where you're going anyway, but actually just this whole this whole assumption that's made around trauma is trauma and actually it's so important that as individuals who have all experienced trauma but particularly trauma that relates maybe to something that is very defining to your personality or your belief system that actually you need to have people that are under, able to be empathetic or have some lived understanding yes. or be able to work in a deeply compassionate way with you where the triggers are likely to be lesser. 
than just going to a general restorative yoga class, you know, with someone that actually maybe doesn't even know their audience, which happens a lot now, you know, an online class, for example, Mm -hmm. but no idea who's there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, you have to be really specific about the language that you're using. And, you know, I can imagine the use of your books for all, all restorative yoga practitioners or yoga practitioners, they're books that need to be read by everybody because actually we need to be aware if you do have someone of a, 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 a race or ethnicity in your class other than a white person and even that white person actually you can't make the assumption that you don't know their back history at all so we need to be really careful about the language that we're using around this whole topic of yoga and supporting people i agree and i think i'm gonna again i'm i'm my 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 family calls me the language police but i can't do yeah (laughs) i will no so what i like to say is that instead of being careful, we need to be aware. Mm -hmm. See, if you're being careful, it means that you're kind of tiptoeing around you. Oh my, I don't want to make a mistake. No, no. Let's be aware of the language I'm using, of the impact I'm having, of what people are hearing, which may not be exactly what I'm saying. You know that. I mean, people hear what they hear and it's not always what you're saying. Mm -hmm. So, let's be aware of how I am coming across. And that requires, and I'm talking to all yoga teachers, right? All therapists in the world, but all yoga teachers and therapists right now, what is your relationship to your own race and ethnicity? See, white people haven't had to have answered that conversation. So it's like, huh, what, what? Mm-hmm. You know, I, what, what do you mean? Because race, at least in the United States, means black, means other. It means other. No, we live in a racialized world. I was, you know, again, in preparation for this conversation today, I was reading the New York York Times, and then I read two other articles right after that in the Ukraine right now. The African people who are in Ukraine trying to leave are being pushed back from being able to leave. And they're being told by the Ukrainian soldiers, this is only for, not all of them, I'm sure, but these are the stories that are coming up. This is only for Ukrainians. And so every time I think that, not that we're done, but that this this topic of racial stress and trauma may be you know, maybe it's time to, to, to move on from that conversation. No, it's not. This is a global problem. And so one of the things that I started talking about is why I started writing this book. So the first book, um, my, my, I had the opportunity to take a deep dive into ways that yoga might positively impact racial stress and trauma. And oh, by the way, I regard the inability to have the conversation about race as a form of trauma. Mm. I regard, it, it, I don't know if you, you know the book White Fragility, for example, that the concept of white fragility that we, you know, we can't even have the conversation, it's just too painful, it's just you know, that, you know. That's a form, there's something wrong with that. If you can't, whatever you're protecting, whatever you can't 
enter into, there's an issue. Mm-hmm. Okay, so having said that, so it's 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 just important, I think, for us to all begin to do self some self-examination here. Svadhyaya, folks, self-study. You know, what is my relationship, not to other, but to me and to my own race and my own ethnicity and what have I internalized and what have I, you know, we don't tend to talk about the perpetrators of racism and xenophobia. We talk about the people who are being perpetrated against, don't we? It's time for us to say, wait a minute, you know, we, um, how come I'm, if all lives matter, how come we're not acting that way? Mm-hmm. How come the black lives in Ukraine don't get to cross the border? Mm-hmm. See, you have to take a look at that. What is that about? There was, there was some criticism. It was interesting because most of these articles that I read, by the way, and a, a, a video came out of the, from the BBC. What if, Somebody said in one of these articles, it was a UK publication, um, now is not the time we're at war. Now is not the time to be talking about race. And the, the author said, oh, no, now is the time. It's a perfect time because we're seeing racism being acted out in the middle of a war. What is that about? When my, when my book was first published, um, going back to that, the first book, Restorative Yoga for Ethnic and Race-Based Stress and Trauma, I was invited to come and make a presentation at the International Association of Yoga Therapists on the topic. I did. I made a 20-minute presentation. Since it is a 95% white organization, I thought I've got to figure out a way to present this in a way that the people sitting there will be interested in it and involved in it, not talk about other, not talk about, you know, the, um, what was happening to non-white people. I, that was not going to be the way I presented it. So I called it, um, white is a color too. And invited people into asking, you know, if you, if you hold up your hand and look at the back of your hand, what color, do you see white? No. Do you see black? No. Well, what color do you actually see? And we went on from there. So, because this is in response to the statement in the United States, well, I'm colorblind. I don't see color. We know that's not true. How come, how come the dark skinned people in Ukraine don't get to cross the border? Because we see color. (laughs) and we're making a distinction and it's either conscious or not, but you need to get conscious of your unconscious stuff, Mm -hmm. which is what our yoga helps us do. I think, I hope that's what I think. Anyway. So um, I gave this presentation. It was great. I got a standing ovation and an absolute fabulous ending, which I, we don't have time for it. It was great. It was really good. And a publisher from the United Kingdom approached me and said, I heard your presentation, you need to write a book. A book, I said? (laughs) She said, yes. I said, it's a 20 minute talk. She said, it's a book. And so um, that's what inspired the first book, Restorative Yoga for Ethnic and Race-Based Stress and Trauma. They like long titles at (laughs) this publisher. They do. (laughs) That was gonna be my working title. They loved it. So that's what the title is, you know. then 
the book was supposed to wasn't supposed to be published until 2021 or what were 2022 yeah I don't know what it was. I don't was it 2020? I think it was published in 2020. I got yeah, it done a year early. Yeah. <laughs> I got it done a year early. Yeah. And so they published, then COVID hit. And I'm thinking to my before the pub, book was to be published, supposed to be published in June 2020. COVID hit. And I remember thinking, you know, nobody's going to care about this in the middle of a pandemic. This is, you know, issues of race and ethnicity. It's just not going to be important to people mm-hmm. i thought <laughs> and then <laughs> and then and then so the so the the publication was pushed back to august and then george floyd was murdered and i know that that's one of the reasons this book sold as well as it i mean the publisher is still they're still surprised by you know the the you know the popularity of the book and out of that, I decided this is what I started writing the second book before the first book was published because I started realizing, I thought, oh, this is, no, I started after actually, I thought, this is a big deal. And I be, as I began to research it, and I put this in the second book, xenophobia and racism historically increased during outbreaks of disease. And we're seeing that, aren't we? And, and even during this war that is threatening all of us, it brings out that whatever that is, that, that primitive um, survival instinct, I guess, me against you, me against you begins to surface. And again, we need to be conscious about that tendency in within ourselves to contract and yeah to contract and make it about uh, whatever the situation a me against you you know you aren't me you don't look like me you aren't you know blonde blue-eyed etc therefore you no you can't cross it you stay here you stay and 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 you're in harm. Well, you you stay in harm's way. We, there's no support for you. Now, I don't know if people are conscious of that. Some are, and some aren't. Get conscious. We need to get conscious about this stuff. So we have to have conversations about it. So that's what that's really what has inspired the books. Um, my desire is for people to begin to live consciously about issues, their own issues around race and ethnicity, Mm. our own, my own, your own, the language that we use, you know, to to, to describe ourselves and to um, think about and describe others. Yes, Daniel. I was just gonna interject and say that um, when I was reading the what was the set? Sorry, I was slightly confused by it. it was transforming ethnic, ethnic and race-based trauma, traumatic stress oh, with the ogre. Is that the thinner one of the two? That's the yeah. That's the second one. Yeah, mm-hmm. I found when I was reading through that particularly, I was finding myself actually reflecting on my experiences, um, and it it and and. I've started to actually use it to work with some clients that I've been working with around 
um, some of these subjects, which obviously I can't disclose much about because this is obviously going out publicly. Um, but it's been, it, I found it a really useful tool to be able to use. I really like, I really liked the context and the story that you put around it and it being something very personal to you, but then actually highlighting a, a, a situation that many people may experience Mm-hmm. And then asking yourself then those questions around actually what does it what what does protection mean to me? How do I feel protected? How no. maybe do I make others feel mm. protected or unprotected? Mm. And it and it really it, it allowed my I think because it was it was quite short and sharp and to the point it allowed me to get actually straight to actually, this is what I need to be thinking about. Nice. Which for me works really well. <laughs> so That's great. For doing that. But actually I could, fi- I, and I, I could find myself starting to reflect upon my stuff, but then also I have been using it with, with another client or two as well, who Beautiful. have actually found it really, really useful, particularly those words being used with the in-breath and the out-breath. Mm, yes that was that for me felt really powerful nice nice yes thank you I just wanted to um one of the things I really loved about the way you've laid the books out was it all felt very supportive like you sometimes when you're working with trauma people get very involved in the detail of the trauma and miss the piece around, well, how, how do I support myself through this? Mm. How do I get, and I don't, not past it, but how do I move forwards? You know, you know, the trauma doesn't have, you know, trauma as we know, or maybe not everybody's listening might know, you know, trauma becomes, all of us experience trauma when it becomes a huge problem is when there's not a safe place to deconstruct it and integrate the parts of us that are, have experienced that. Um, and you speak so eloquently about, and I've just written a few words down, and maybe you could speak a little around this, around you know, the practice of forgiveness and self-care. You speak about innocence, which I'm really curious to hear you say a little bit more around, about being authentic. And I really liked your, your three circles of self-discovery. And then you also speak about post-traumatic, post-traumatic growth, which I thought was incredible. I love that expression. Because actually, you know, if we do integrate our trauma and we heal, it's deeply empowering, deeply, deeply empowering. And there's so, we can learn so much about ourselves and about our communities and about the way the world works. And, and I liked how you said earlier, you know, showing up for showing up in the world, actually, you know, not, you know, hiding away. And sort of trying to protect herself, and that, and I think I, I kind of want to. I'm asking an awful lot of questions here, but I also wanted to say to you, but that feels really scary sometimes. Yeah, you're asking, you're saying to me, show up, and I'm saying, well, I don't want to show up. It's not safe out there. People aren't kind. So, but what I felt about your book was it was like it was showing us ways to resource ourselves. Could could you say a little bit more about that? I will say <laughs> a lot about all of that. So to it's not safe out there. It's scary. I say, do it scared. Mm. 
Okay. It's called because it isn't safe. Mm. It wasn't safe for me to write these books. Mm. It's not safe for me to be having this conversation with you. You do it scared. And that's called courage. Mm. And that's the post-traumatic growth. Mm. I can move. That's the transformative aspect of the work. I can move from being traumatized, which is trauma is nothing more than undigested, unprocessed energy and experience. That's what trauma is. It's something that we, that some things that a thing or some things that have occurred or that keep occurring that are so overwhelming to our system. And that's different for you know, individuals that are so overwhelming that we can't process them or we don't know how to process them or we don't take the time to process. Mm -hmm. So we're sort of yoga is a practice that invites us into process mm -hmm. and we process it physiologically. We process it through our awareness of body, of mind, of emotion, of spirit. That's what that practice, when it's taught properly in a therapeutic way, does for us. You know, you see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so if I waited until I wasn't afraid, <laughs> which a lot of people do, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, um, look, well, look at Zelensky. I mean, this, the, the, the uh, president of Ukraine, this dude, I mean, he is something, isn't he? Mm -hmm. He's doing it scared. Those people are doing it scared. Yeah. They're, do, they're, they're scared. And they, they, but they're calling on their courage to do the needful. Mm -hmm. My husband says, my husband's a martial artist, among other things, but uh, he's a black belt martial arts. He, I remember years ago, he said to me, you may not win the fight, but you have to fight the fight. Mm -hmm. Isn't that beautiful? Mm -hmm. I think that's so powerful. Mm. I think that's so that that to me that's a, a, a kind of strength that we all can begin to contemplate. You know, you may not win the fight, but you have to fight the fight. That's what these people are doing. So that's that. Go ahead. And just reflecting on that, I have menopause, so I'll forget if I don't see right away. I understand. <laughs> I might have already forgotten. Oh my God. It, it doesn't get better. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I was just, I was just thinking when you said that, I was thinking, but sometimes it feels like when you do it anyway, it can be a bit re-traumatizing. When you, let me, let me speak to that. I'm right. You, when I'm, you know, you, you, we can see each other because yeah. we're, we're on screen, but our audience only can hear yeah. our voices. So when I look away from you, I'm writing things down. I'm doing so the same. It's okay. I'm making notes. <laughs> uh, shoot. Did I forget? Did I forget? Did I forget? When our nervous systems are dysregulated, when we've been traumatized, our nervous systems are dysregulated. And, to, um, and we want to bring it back into regulation. What does that mean? It means that when we're in trauma, we are either in a state of fight, flight, or collapse. Mm -hmm. Okay? Yeah. I hope people understand what we're talking about. We're either 
mobilizing to get away from a situation or fighting in the situation, or we are so overwhelmed that we just were paralyzed. All right, that's trauma. When you are in, when it's chronic, when it's chronic, meaning it's just the way it is and you've adapted to it and adjusted to it, you have to bring online the other aspect of the nervous system that supports growth. Mm. That's the post-traumatic growth. That's the rest digest nervous system. That's the part of our nervous system that can learn to feel safe in stillness. Mm. That's where we as teachers and therapists have to be willing to show up as safe. And the only way, and I'll tell you something, reading about, you know, well, if you, if you do all these rules and regulations, this is how you create safety. No, it isn't. You have to be safe. You have to be in a place of regulation in order to support someone else mm. when their nervous system is dysregulated. Mm. So we have to do the practices. Mm. We have to do the practices. Otherwise, we can't be helpful. You can't help someone tap into their own courage if you are terrified of re-traumatizing them. Do you understand what I'm saying? We're not trying to re-traumatize anybody. We're not trying to do that. If you, if you inadvertently do the, 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 the work, the task then is, oops, how do I, if you, if you step on what I call these invisible landmines that nobody knows mm -hmm. exist, including the person who, <laughs> who, who is surrounded by this minefield, they don't know they're going to blow up. You don't know they're going to blow up. You, you say or do something, boom, there's a big explosion. Now what? Now, how do I bring that person back into themselves? It's not how do I avoid doing that? Although that's part of it. You know, I mean, we're not trying to traumatize people. But it's inevitable in the work that we do that people's stuff is going to come up mm -hmm. and out. Mm -hmm. So we don't want to try to tap it back down and help them do what they're used to doing, which is making it go away. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we do that by showing up. So Daniel. I find it fascinating that if I reflect back on how I was taught about <clears throat> yoga, there was so much fear-based teaching. Mm -hmm. And I've had to unlearn that as a yoga therapist and learn how exactly how you're, you're saying to be present and to know I'm going to get it wrong. I'm there to get it wrong with someone else. And between us, we can then work out potentially what might be the way forwards. And the way I say that is you can either be right or you can be in relationship. Yeah. You can either be right or you can be in relationship. And when you remember, when you remember, and this is whether you're, it's a work relationship, an intimate relationship, a casual relationship, a student teachers, a therapist client relationship. When you make the relationship, I, if, if we had a chalkboard, I would write a great big capital R, 
and then I would make an equals sign. And then I would make a greater than sign, you know, that arrow that points to the right, that one. <laughs> so if I were doing an algebraic formula, it would look like that, uh, greater than I plus T. The relationship has to be equal to or greater than the issue or the task. And that's where therapists and even friends and family get into trouble when you try to make the issue, the trauma, the focus. The trauma is not the focus. The nervous, we're, we're, we're addressing the nervous system here. Mm. How do I bring someone into balance? I have to be balanced mm. for starters, right? And one more thing, Donna, there's a, a young woman she's from the UK, Paula Hines. I don't know if you know her. Mm. Paula writes for Ohm magazine. And she wrote an article about showing up safe. And my, as a yoga teacher, and my um, husband was reading it to me. One of his friends sent it to him some kind of way. I don't know how she found it. And uh, so the, the article's entitled show, How to Show Up Safe. And I, I kind of said, well, that, wait a minute. I teach that. Yeah, I'm thinking, I'm feeling possessive of the <laughs> showing up safe. You know, he's reading and reading, and I'm getting more and more alert here. And then she says, I learned this when I attended a webinar taught by Dr. Gail Parker, blah, blah. Well, Paula and I have become friends. You know, as I reached out to her and she and I have, uh, we have a nice relationship going. But it's that, that willingness, the, how do I show up safe? Well, I gotta be, I have to be balanced. I have to be peaceful. I have to be calm. I can't be in, and that means that I have to kind of get curious about my own landmines, my own things that set me off. Mm. you know what what is what we go deeper that's what yoga invites us to isn't it to go deep always so that means you're going to bump into people's stuff and they're going to bump into their stuff mm. and our work is to support them we have to be emotionally prepared to deal to to to, to um what's the I, i'm trying to think of the right language here emotionally prepared to receive someone's stuff mm. when it comes up. Mm. We don't have to fix it. We don't have to make it better. Mm. We, but we do have to be willing to be present enough to receive it. Mm. And that is often what the healing, D yeah. don't you think? 100%, couldn't agree yeah. more. I was just reflecting as you were saying that in cranial sacral practice, what we how we work is from a place of self-regulation so we start centered and we stay in that space as we observe the person's nervous system through mm -hmm. touch mm -hmm. and as you observe the nervous system you can feel whether it's heightened it's frozen it's overactivated or what's going on on the surface and then underneath that, there's the kind of primary respiration and the deeper tide, which is where all life emerges from. And we always are orientating to a place of health. So we're observing what's going on, but we're always paying attention and holding space in that place that is peaceful and still and expansive and compassionate. We can't do it if we're not, if not worked through our own trauma, which is a continual job. And our job is never to... to get people to you know have massive releases or to feel overwhelmed but actually to teach them to be with their experience in body 
with, within what they have the capacity to hold. So actually often what's being taught is how to be kind to yourself. So it's like, you know, I had this conversation with some clients in the past few weeks. You know, it's okay not to feel it all, all the time. You're not failing because you're not unpacking every single bag that you've ever carried. How about what's my capacity today? And, and if, if, you know, you don't feel you can go there, we don't go there. Or we don't ever want to get to that state where we're completely overwhelmed. That actually, maybe throughout life, they've been living in that state of overwhelm. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners might be sitting going, crikey, yeah, I, I perpetually feel overwhelmed and, and over-resourced, you know, and exhausted and like I can't pick anything else up and I don't know how else to feel. And I think what your book does so beautifully is it gives these tools through the practices of yoga and other practices actually that mm-hmm. feel, you know, more global than that um, around how to, how to help us do that. You know, these things of forgiveness and self-care and I'm I, what the, the thing I wanted to ask you specifically was for something like race-based trauma, it doesn't go away. Does it? Oh. Every time you go out into the world, it's you have the potential to be triggered again. So could you speak a little bit to that? Just when you think, <laughs> just when you think <laughs> you're safe. Yeah. Damn. One of the things that's unique about um, racial stress and trauma, and uh, you know, there's been research done on uh, how yoga can support post-traumatic stress disorder. But there is no research that's been done on how yoga can support race-based traumatic stress injury. Mm. I'm going to give the long version of this story here. PTSD, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, is a psychiatric disorder that is caused by usually a life-threatening event that the individual has not been able to process and digest. They haven't gotten over it yet. And it happened a long time ago. Sometime, a long time ago, according to the manuals, six months ago, but you know, or a year ago, or 10 or 15 years ago. And even after treatment, there, um, there can be relapse into you know, the, the, the experience of uh, post-traumatic stress. It's a disorder. That's how it's identified. That's how it's described. Although I think people are softening around that a little bit now. Race-based traumatic stress injury has been defined as any race-related event that is emotionally painful. It is ongoing. It is recurrent. It is cumulative. So it is not a one-time event. And it's regarded, then the responses to the injury are regarded as normal. Of course, you would be upset that this has occurred. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with you. It is the external event that is the problem, not you, not the way you are responding to it or the way you've internalized. That's a very different approach. And, and, And I think it's a critically important approach. And it's not that uh, people who've experienced racial stress and trauma don't have some disordered thinking, at, you, know, from, you know what I'm saying, don't have issues that need to be dealt with uh, uh, psychotherapeutically, but it's that 
it's important to realize this is this is this is not because of you. <laughs> you didn't do this. So um, I don't know. Does that answer? I mean, that that sort of is what makes a distinction. In the first book, I write about um, I can't remember his name. Maybe Daniel Simmons. I don't remember his name. Anyway, researcher decided he was. This man was curious about how depression was dealt with in various cultures across the world. So he traveled the world to find out what do you think depression is and how do you deal with it? And what I, the story I wrote in the book was um, when he went to Rwanda to talk about the genocide that had occurred, the Rwandans said to him that um, they had to ask the Western psychologists who came in to help to leave because in their description, they said they took us into a, a small, dingy little room with no um, sunlight and made us talk about the pain and suffering we had been through. They said, that's not how we do it. They said, we don't regard depression as something that is in us that needs to be um, cured. They said, what we do instead is everybody in the village takes the day off. We all come together in a group in the village and we use sunshine, drumming and dancing to exorcise the, the, you know, the, 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 to get rid of the thing that, that, that was, that was the problem. I just think that's such an interesting and important awareness that, um, the people who are traumatized, for example, let's say that in Ukraine, the Africans who are trying to leave, thinking that they, you know, that they're, they, they are human too, and that they should be able to cross the border like everybody else is going across the border, like the white Ukrainians are going across the border. And they only to discover, no, not you. No, no, we, no, you can't come. That is traumatic but it's not because of anything they did mm. you it's not because there's something wrong with them of course that's traumatic of course that is distressing mm. one of the women who uh did a uh, this was the bbc broadcast this she's nigerian said she said i had to walk 12 miles 12 miles in freezing weather to get to a border that i could cross after being told that i couldn't cross she said, just the thought of walking right now, the word is traumatizing to me. There's nothing, of course it is. There's nothing wrong with her for having that experience. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's a real different approach than you should, well, you, let's help you get over the trauma. What happens when you normalize? Of course you're traumatized, Don. Yeah, I was just going to say, so, and I think that's what I was, I was kind of asking was like, how do you move forwards? Because you're continually... I mean, it's like something I deal with clients a lot. I, you know, we speak about this wasn't your fault and you're allowed to be angry yeah. and you're allowed to express yeah. it. Yeah. But, but often the, those events that I'm dealing with are things that have passed and aren't likely to happen again. And, and what right, I'm hearing right, from right. you is that I'm saying to you that, but these are, this is going to happen again to people. Well, so that's you know, why. How you, do they move forwards with? You do practices that keep you resilient. Yeah. You do practices that support you in being able to, strengthen yourself 
so that you have created, I call it, you've strengthened your psychological immune system. Mm. You know, um, when you know how to navigate, see, see, black and brown people know how to navigate these spaces Mm. because we face them all the time. So we know how to navigate them. And we know how to do it in ways that are healthy. Mm. It's true. But we, but we need the, there, there are these physical practices that we can do. This is why I think yoga is so perfect for this, actually, because it, 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 it is a practice that anyone can do, especially restorative yoga. Anybody can do restorative yoga. Um, you, when you realize that what I, that, that just resting, resting is a healing practice and you can discipline yourself to just come to rest even if it's for just five minutes a five minute meditation for example you know when you i mean you don i know you know and dana you probably do too when you drop into that place of deep rest do you know the place i'm talking about where you just sort of drop in that's that's it that's enough you don't have to stay there and and you become strong and when you become strong in that way you become clearer you are mentally more clear and you can begin to determine what's safe and what isn't do you know what i mean when your nervous system is messed up you can you don't know what's safe and what isn't you know you may be getting uh, experiencing a threat that has nothing to do with what's going on around you, but that it's an internal trigger that you've never dealt with. But but what if you, like the, the man who killed Trayvon Martin, he was threatened by nothing, that whatever that was, was coming from within him. Mm-hmm. It had nothing to do with the external reality of the situation. It's important for us to get, to start getting clear about that. Is this an external threat or an internal trigger? and begin to deal with our own internal triggers that we can do something about. The external stuff, not so much, but the internal stuff we can. And as we become more aware, we develop more insight, we develop foresight, we develop a strength that allows us to make wise choices. That's how. I don't know if that's answering the question. I mean, it's not a quick fix. Like you said, these are. this is not something you do once. Okay, that's it. I got it. I'm done. Mm-hmm. I don't have to do this anymore. No, this is, this is a, a regular practice mm-hmm. of coming to that place of strength that allows me to do it scared when necessary. Mm-hmm. That allows me to do it scared when necessary. Mm-hmm. You know? So post-traumatic growth is what occurs when we've had an opportunity to um, reflect on the experience and and grow from it, grow through it. It it it's it, it's not easy, you know. But but that's it. I, I was just I just wrote an article for USA Today. Um, uh, on black women's mental health was the request. Would you write an article on black women's mental health? And I thought, okay, I will. And the article, which I will send you a link if you would like to read it. 
Thank you. The opening line I say is black women are some of the most among the most mentally healthy people I know. Because we feel the full range of human emotion. We feel mad, we feel sad, we feel scared, and we feel glad. We feel all of it. That's healthy. You know, it's healthy to be, to feel angry when, and, and I go on to talk about it's, you know, when, when people are killing your loved ones accidentally or on purpose, what, what are you supposed to feel? <laughs> you know what I mean? When, when the world that you live in as a black person, and you know that you can be a target at any moment, that's scary. So you learn to manage that. You learn to mitigate you, 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 you learn to know when you're safe, when you're not safe, you, and, and you take appropriate action. When you, as I said, when, you're, when your nervous system is not firing properly, you can put yourself in dangerous situations thinking that you're safe. Mm. Or you can put yourself in safe situations and feel like you're in danger. Mm. Mm. And so that's why a regulated nervous system will tell you. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. I was just, I was just thinking, as you said, it, it's, um, it's so often the case that people who are in that dysregulated state and they're numbed out, they will put themselves in very dangerous situations because they uh -huh. can feel. And it's like, yeah. oh, I feel I must be happy, or this must right. be. Right. This is what this is what everybody else feels. And they don't or, or I'm courageous, or yeah. they confuse that with courage. Yeah, go ahead. And, they, and they're not realizing actually, it's just that they're normally so numb that this dangerous situation that's creating adrenaline in their body is actually deeply unsafe. And that I think, you know, I see that a lot. I see that a lot with mm -hmm. a lot of my my patients and you know my wider circle of people and yeah. and probably myself when I was younger, certainly. Yeah, and, and also reflecting on all the things you're saying, I'm thinking about all the ways we harm ourselves, you know, mm -hmm. by not, and you're so right, this, you know, you say black women are among the most mentally health because, well, with me, the best mental health, you know, because they feel everything. And I think I, I've, I've encountered three people just today who said, oh, I don't watch the news. I don't want to know about the war. Yeah, right. yeah, it's not good right. for my health. And I thought, and I have, I didn't say anything because I didn't have the resources, frankly. And I just thought, but I did think, I thought, but that, but you can't just look away and pretend it's not happening. I'm angry. And just because I'm a yoga teacher and a therapist doesn't mean I'm not angry. I'm furious. But that's what people tend to do. And I would say, you know, I've said this, I'm sure I say it somewhere in the book that we live in a, a world. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to be respectful. So when I'm writing these books, I'm writing from an American perspective. And I say that because I, now I'm assuming that this stuff can be generalized. And I say that too. I'm writing from my perspective, which is limited to what I know and what I've experienced, but there are universal principles here. And that's, Daniel, what you're talking about when you're reading the book, you can relate to that. Um, Don, I'm forgetting what I was saying. What was I gonna say? Don't go away, don't go away. You're talking about the um, war and people not looking and don't yeah. away. Yeah, exactly. And so we live in a world of unhealed stress and trauma. This is not just a black issue. When you think about all the wars that we have been fighting, I mean, we've been at war 
since I was born. And, and no treatment for that stuff, is there? Daniel, go ahead. I think what resonated so deeply with me is the experience of being a queer person and exactly what you were saying about when black or brown people navigate a room, the same thing happens when you're a queer person. You're ultra aware of everyone that's in that room, who they are, where, what buckets you're going to put them within and rating them almost out of a sense of, you know, who's safe, who isn't, who can I converse with, who am I going to avoid you know, and it's it's that thing around actually this mm -hmm. is where this is how I'm going to get through this. Because you know. Because you know. Yeah, because you know if you don't. You're in harm's way. Yeah, yeah, it's a very difficult place to be. Yeah. yeah. But as you know, then as we all know, that takes energy. Yeah. And that's why we have to do the practices so that we can re re restore yeah, our sense of well-being because that you know it takes effort to do that. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's not that you're just doing that, doing that, doing that, doing that, doing that, doing that. And if that's all you're doing, you will at some point break down. Yeah. You'll burn out. Something will happen. You'll get sick. That's the point, Don. That 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 you know you're doing that, and you're doing it successfully. But now I need <laughs> now now I need a place where I can experience that level of deep restoration now i that's why i'm going to go to i'm going to go to don my cranial sacral therapist it's that and nobody's going to you know it's i don't know if anybody imagines that someone's coming to you and saying and now i'm here to deal with race-based stress and trauma probably not <laughs> and now i'm here to deal with being queer probably not <laughs> but if you are an attuned therapist, you can presume, you know, that there's, there's, there's some strengths here. There's, this is not an easy life for any of us, really, you know. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. Do you, you, just one, we could go on for hours, couldn't we? But I'm, I'm curious, you, you, you have a chapter on forgiveness. And I think that's mm -hmm. a really, I think it's really important and also very difficult. Mm -hmm. I was just wondering if you could say, What's your perspective on the role of forgiveness in society and in our own healing? Interesting you should mention that because I am doing engaged right now in a little forgiveness practice myself. <laughs> the temptation, <laughs> it's, com it's complex. So I'll, I'll keep it short because we don't have a lot of time. We need to start with forgiving ourselves first. Mm -hmm. Meaning, so when you feel betrayed, for example, all right, um, use that as an example, because that's what I'm feeling right now. It's easy to um, observe the, the, the person who has betrayed you and to try and figure out how am I going to forgive that person? I don't want to forgive that person, you know, because you're going to bump into all of that. You know, why should I forgive that person? Blah, blah, blah. You get through all of that. When you keep going deeper into the practice of forgiveness, what you realize is, oh, I have betrayed myself because I knew, I didn't know that this detail was going to occur, but I knew a long time ago <laughs> that there's something about this didn't sit well with me and I ignored it. Mm -hmm. It's that. So now you, most people don't start there. Um, but 
you can end up there when once you get to the bottom of who am I forgiving and and what am I forgiving? You also get to the place where you realize, you know what? I didn't do anything wrong. And then guess what happens? And you realize, and neither did they. And neither did they. You can't start there. <laughs> that's the end point. But that's the value in the forgiveness. It's, it's, it's really the, will, the ability to release the shame, blame, and criticism that we carry within ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and does that mean I have to st- stay in relationship? Absolutely not. Does it mean if somebody comes to me, uh, I'm just highlighting some of the things I remember writing in that chapter, which I had to read the other day, by the way, to remind <laughs> so, Oh, yeah. Oh, I forgot. I wrote about this. Let me read what to say. Um, you wrote it. Oh, that was a good you one. Know what I, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to do that, right? I'm not doing that. You know, so, it's, it's not, no, it's not me. So, um, so you, you, you just begin to realize, you know, it's, um, Oh, it's me. Oh, it's me. Oh, it's me. See, that's what I believe that without the shame, blame and criticism associated with it, just the recognition that my experience belongs to me. And um, if you have done something to me that I don't like, number one, I don't have to accept your apology. That's what I, where I was going with this. See, I'm not a fan of um, apologizing force of, 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 I don't want to say it. It's not that you shouldn't apologize. I'm sorry. But I don't have to accept your apology just because you're offering it because I may not be ready to. And I think people need to understand that. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I no, I'm not. I, I can't do that yet. Mm-hmm. And I may never be able to do it. Mm-hmm. Do you understand? What I, you don't have to. You do not have to accept someone's apology. You don't. You really don't. You really don't. But you also don't have to blame them and carry that energy with you either, because that's like drinking the poison and expecting the other person to die. Mm. Doesn't work. So forgiveness is practical. It lets us off the hook (laughs) of our own anger and, and unease. Yeah. I do. I do a forgiveness practice quite regularly for myself. I, I, I rest my hand on my heart and I say, I forgive myself for all the times I didn't show up for myself because I can be so hard on myself. That's the purpose. Yeah. yeah, It's part of my childhood trauma of no rest, never say no, Mm. you know, you don't matter. You're here to help others. And so that's part of the script that plays out in my life. Sure. And if I'm not conscious of that script, I will overwork and drive yeah. myself into an absolute terrible state. And I'm very aware of it now. So it rarely happens that that happens or I'm certainly not for very long. But that's my thing. I'll say that to myself. That'll be, And that's my practice. You say know? it again, because I think it's very beautiful. Say it yeah. again for all so of I us. Forgive, I forgive myself for all the times I couldn't show up for myself. I say let's all say that together right now. Um, I forgive Give myself, myself for all for the times, all the times I didn't show I didn't up for myself. myself. Because, and that feels really, um, like I feel so much better because I can get into that whole thing in my head where I'm going, oh my God, you've done it again. You've just, look at that. You've over, so you've overcommitted yourself and you've got no time. And oh my God, you haven't walked for a week and you're working till midnight and, 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 oh, and now you're hungry because you're tired and you're eating rubbish. And then I'll have to just stop and I'll go, yeah. And 
And then yeah, yeah. That, the something about, and I think this is helpful for people to hear, there's something about the change in tone, isn't there? It's the tone of the words and the tone of the language and the touch, that tender touch is like, mm-hmm. I kind of, and I had to teach myself to do this, but like in the same way, if one of my kids got it really badly wrong, because they're kids I'll just you know it's that whole you put your hand on them and you go take a breath mm-hmm. it's okay let's just take a breath we all make mistakes what well, you know let's just let it go now and there's it's so healing isn't it we forget that actually just that just that little change can actually change what's going on inside you and how you feel absolutely that's and that's what Daniel was saying about the affirmations that I suggest that you can use when you're in these practices, it, 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 it shifts. Can I, I know our time is coming to an end. May I re- read something? Please, please do. Please do. Okay, because you asked me, so I, I did, I said, okay. Thank you. So this is in the first book, and this is, we're back on uh, my, more specifically my topic, race-based traumatic stress. And there's a reflection in the book. There are reflections at the end of each chapter that I write for people to contemplate and then discussion questions. So this is one of the reflections. And um, this is what I say, a tuned relationship. It's nature's way. And the, the, the title of the chapter is The Healing Power of Relationship. So um, trees communicate with each other through the sense they emit to attract bees for pollination, to alert other trees to impending danger, and to express care and protection for one another through electrical impulses via via their root systems. A tuned relationship is nature's way. And then I share a poem that was written by a dear friend, Cheryl Metzke, that I will share with you. She, I don't know if you, do you know what a Joshua tree is? Mm. Oh, you do? Okay, all right. So I live... Uh, about a, about 40 minutes from Joshua Tree, by the way. It's, it's beautiful. Oh. So the, the name of this poem is called Joshua Trees Know. Joshua Trees Know Each Other. Root systems connecting across vibrational sand. Science says Joshua Trees hum, sing together, perhaps among their mycelium roots or limb to limb mystery. Whatever happens to one happens to all. Evolved consciousness, oneness. Joshua trees know. How do we awaken to this too? Beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Gosh, if that isn't a message for for now <laughs> for always apparently i was yeah. <laughs> i keep thinking now is over but now <laughs> i guess yeah. the present moment is the only one we know i guess and this Absolutely. present moment keeps happening yeah yeah so that's on page 96 if you have the book by the way so there's always something that i ask everyone that comes on this podcast mm-hmm. um how do you take care of yourself well I, first of all, I live in the most, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed. This is, I realize everybody doesn't have this option, but I live in an absolutely exquisitely beautiful place. Um, when I don't live in absolutely exquisitely beautiful places, I surround myself with beauty, you know, just 
it's important to me and it lifts my soul it lifts my spirit i um have a regular meditation practice that i am devoted to um i have I haven't been on my yoga mat as much as I was before the pandemic, but I, you know, I, I practice um, yoga. Um, I always, I had a very active yoga practice for a long time. You know, they say we teach a thing we most need to learn. So I teach restorative yoga and I practice it too, but uh, you know, I, I've had an active practice. I practice yoga. Um, I walk, I love walking. I love walking. And so I walk about four and a half miles a day. I eat well um and i you know i i have my little indulgences you know i as uh, i remember uh once my ayurvedic practitioner said look if you're doing this stuff 51 percent of the time <laughs> you're good so i like that yeah um i laugh a lot i make sure i surround myself with people who i love who love me back you know, I do. That's really important to me. And and now it's online a lot. Um, those are some of the ways I take care of myself. They sound fantastic ways. And just, yeah, <laughs> I just, I love, I love hearing people's experiences. And, you know, particularly that one about surrounding yourself with people that love you and make you laugh. Oh, yeah. I think is vital. It's a bit like those Joshua trees, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? And you know, and even across across the ocean, across the pond, as you like to say, you know. Absolutely. I mean, even for me, even this diet, we don't know each other. At least we didn't think we did. And yet, you know, there's a connection. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And, and it's lovely. Well, thank you for being part of our connection and sharing such wonderful um, information and writing these really important books that, you know, I just feel every yoga or well-being practitioner needs to read um, if working with others, with the public, but also from an individual perspective, you know, for anybody to just be able to reflect on their, their own experience of race and, ex and ethnicity. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for supporting the work. I appreciate it. Really happy to, really happy to. What we'll do is we'll share um, Dr. Gao's information, um, the website, the books, and then also the article that you said you've written as oh, well. Yes. We'll share that in the, in the show notes. Um, thank you so much, Dr. Gao, for being here today. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Dawn, for your wonderful questions and as ever being my co-host. And thank you for listening. We really hope that this podcast today has provided you with some food for thought and also hopefully some ways to approach your healing. Um, if you enjoyed the podcast or if you have anything to comment about it, please do get in contact and let us know. But until next time, thank you so much for listening. Bye, Dr. Gal. Bye, Dawn. And thank you.